Hi, you're listening to Dr. Shamina Johnson, and this is Dark Matters with Dr. Shamina, the podcast that focuses on learning to become conscious and aware so that you can take control of your life in this very challenging world. So what do you say? Let's get into it. Hi, welcome to Dark Matters with Dr. Shamina. Thanks for tuning in again. I'm your host, Dr. Shamina, and today I want to look at and talk about one of the most common psychological defenses that you may use, probably everyone uses, including myself, I've used to keep uncomfortable feelings and thoughts at bay, and that is anxiety. Um... I want to talk about anxiety. Like I've written about it in prior blog posts on my website. Um, But in those posts, I've really focused on talking about anxiety and fear, the type of fear of falling to pieces, which is like a fear of disintegration and involves a kind of threat that individuals will feel in a physical sense where you can't hold it all together. It's like this type of anxiety, it's very intense. It's like you're overpowered by extreme tension in the mind and in the body. Like catastrophic consequences and imaginary stories play out in your mind in rapid succession about how events will will unfold. And usually they always have a bad ending. And I think any one of you who are tuning in and listening today that have experienced high levels of anxiety or panic attacks will understand the meaning of what I'm talking about. You know, the issue with panic attacks and intense anxiety is that one of the reasons it's so challenging is that it provides little room because of the flurry of thoughts for rationality, thoughtfulness, or self-reflection. Because in the moment when you're having panic attacks or you're really anxious, you're just trying to contain the hurricane that's happening in your mind of thoughts and emotions that are happening within your body and your mind. But, you know, high levels of anxiety can take a really extreme toll on you. And that's why I want to talk about how mindfulness can be so helpful. So I'm going to go back a little bit and lay a little bit of a foundation of about anxiety and the defenses that come with it. Um, Like most defenses, you know, such as anxiety, you know, when we develop anxiety over time, like they were appropriate and necessary the time that they were formed in our psyche. So think about this. Just Follow me on this journey. (laughs) As a defenseless child, you know, you may not have been permitted to grow in a way that validates your own individual needs and possibilities. You know, children don't have the psychological resources that adults have to combat growing up in an environment where adults may have not been may have been self-absorbed, maybe too wrapped up in their sense of self or not able to fully love 
or even conceive of their child as being separate and an individual. And it's like when you grow up in an environment where it's kind of, it's inconsistent, maybe intimidating, erratic, not stable, very hypercritical. Maybe your parents were partial to other siblings and not yourself or emotionally isolating. Like it's never just one factor that gives rise to anxiety. It's a lot of factors, but the whole constellation of these limiting experiences can exercise an influence on your development and growth, which are the building blocks of your personality and your psychological makeup when you grow into being an adult. So as a result, as a child, you may have not felt really secure growing up or maybe have this kind of vague sense of apprehensiveness about life, feeling helpless or isolated. And that that foundation kind of kind of starts the processes of developing like a lot of anxiety about your environment kind of a basic sense of anxiety you know the problem that we have is that when we have the challenges in growing up and we develop these defenses and we have these fears and anxieties that are formed during childhood and maybe some of them were conscious to you and maybe it was very unconscious but the problem happens when childhood fears follow you into adulthood like for example and this is probably a very extreme example but i'm going to give it nonetheless like if i was molested as a young girl at 10 years old, completely robbed of my innocence and trust of others. The molestation in and of itself is absolutely abhorrent and horrible. But also there are rippling negative consequences in how it affects the individual, affects me if I'm 10 years old as I'm growing up. Like, before the molestation, I was probably a very happy, 10 years old, happy, bouncing, full of life, adventurous young child. But after the molestation, I'm like this, I become this young girl who's mistrustful and anxious about the world, fearful, angry, depressed. And so when I grow up and I become an adult and I start to have different relationships, I have friends and I have intimate relationships. The idea is that the potential partners and friends might start to see me as being angry and mistrustful. I have trust issues and they might start to distance themselves from me. But then the rejection of other people only serves to confirm my view that of how dangerous the world is. So it becomes this very cycle of something happened to me. I tried to do my best to overcome it. I engage in relationships as an adult, not realizing the undercurrent of these feelings of trust and anxiety. And I start to unconsciously push people away. And then that confirms my own belief about myself. Like many of us find it, very challenging, especially when we become adults, to not react immediately to the various triggers without some type of defense 
anger, irritation, or trying to dominate over a particular event. But rather than take the time to reflect, many of us end up reacting like Pavlov's conditioned dogs, <laughs> you know, and you end up going through life repeating the same script over and over again with very little awareness that you have a choice of how you can respond. I mean, as an adult, you have a choice, but as that young girl that I just mentioned that was robbed of her innocence, I had no choice. But the reason that I bring up this very specific piece, which is reacting and responding to retriggers, is that between a stimulus and a response, how I choose, how I'm responding, there is a space. There's a psychological space. It's very small sometimes. It's like a small window. But in that space, you have the power to choose a different response. Because it's in that space that lies growth and freedom to be a different version of yourself. You know, feelings and emotions often run faster than the internet. <laughs> they run so quickly through our body and in our mind. And, but, with, but when you are able to reflect on your response, you are empowered to do something different and to change the course of the relationship or change the course of the path that you're on in the moment. I'm going to shift a little because I want to talk about in a different context of giving you an example of how mindfulness can be very helpful. So I find in my work with clients that experience intense anxiety symptoms to be it to be very helpful, helpful to have a sense of mindfulness about yourself because the therapeutic space between my clients and myself can be such a place of refuge where you are not avoiding feelings, but you're experiencing the feelings in a much more contained environment, different than being outside in the outside world where you have family and partners and children that are just constantly just in your space. So you don't have a lot of space to really think. So when I come into session, I'll give you an example. When I come into session with my clients, I don't have an agenda. I don't have a flurry of thoughts or imaginary scenarios or stories that I have catastrophic thoughts. I'm not playing. I don't have all that in my space. Like I'm not creating imaginary stories about my clients. I don't even really have an agenda when I come into session. I try to put in that moment when I'm starting to, when I'm with my, with my clients and I begin a session, I try to put aside any goals, any preconceptions that I might have just so I can be present in the moment and listen to my clients. So what I strive for when I'm with my clients is to have a sense of mental quiet, which helps me focus on my emotions and physical sensations, but also be very attuned to my clients and their emotional experience while I'm patiently listening. I'm listening, but I'm present. And this is an example on relying less on verbal thought as a defense and being present 
I mean, in many ways, my approach to psychotherapy and how I work with my clients resembles the exact thing that I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to convey, which is having a sense of mindfulness about your life with its goal being a mental quiet and the disengagement, or I will just say the separation from a flurry of verbal thoughts, catastrophic thoughts, or imaginary stories that might be happening. So the goal is having a sense of mental quiet. And because of years I've been in practice, I'm able to watch myself in the moment, see my defenses in action, if they come up, hear familiar verbal processes kick in, like One of the ones that I've battled for most of my life is not being good enough, but I notice it and I try to silence it in the moment, focusing instead of what I might be trying to avoid. But the mental quiet helps bring me in contact with all sorts of feelings such as sadness, anger, and even deeper fears of worthiness or not being good enough. But if I'm in my head and the anxiety takes over and becomes so powerful, then it prevents me from ever really getting to the deeper feelings, which is a place of refuge where you can understand yourself. Like mindfulness in daily life is not the goal in and of itself, but rather a means to silence these defenses that come up of trying to avoid and focusing on the emotional experience that lies behind them. Like I don't meditate as a practice every day, but I do bring myself back to my breath every day, again and again, always throughout the day. I take a deep breath to center myself, to gather my thoughts so I get into my body and I get into the present moment. So when we take the time to consider the reason something has triggered us, and to try out alternative actions to the ones that you're accustomed to, you end up actually taking a greater responsibility for your own behavior, your own trajectory in your life, and discovering, I think, a much more fulfilling capacity for change, a greater capacity, I'll say, for change. Like mindfulness can be a great adjunct tool to psychotherapy. It's not a replacement But I really want to reinforce that mental quiet and focusing on your breath allows you to observe in action what you've come to understand about yourself, what you believe about yourself, what the thoughts are. And that can be very empowering in breaking the cycle of anxiety. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Dark Matters with Dr. Shanina. Please don't forget to share this on social media and I'll catch you next time.